Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer. So, oh, that's not too bad. So, um, big night tomorrow night, and this is the preview show. A couple of things we're going to uh, go into, but the main thrust of the show tonight is to preview the first debate between Biden and Trump. So, we're going to cover a whole bunch of ground, but let's begin with Trump's preparation. Um, infamously, he didn't really prepare for uh, Hillary Clinton. You can't really imagine a man like that preparing uh, in the conventional way for a um, you know a debate. Uh, somebody that prepared excellently. It's kind of you know uh, a known thing that uh, Mitt Romney in 2012. Uh, you know, kind of like took Obama seriously and, and thought, well, I better get up to speed on my, you know, I better get my shit together here if I'm going to go one to one with Obama. And um, that paid dividends because Barack Obama, for all of his skill and, you know, oratory, um, eloquence and all that, he was bested by um, Mitt Romney in the first of their debates. And apparently there's a thing that happens whereby if you have been president for four years, you're kind of not used to the rough and tumble of a debate. You're not used to the directness of, of um, you know, the questions and you're not used to the, the directness of an opponent saying what you're doing, uh, Mr. President, is wrong. And what I propose to do is correct and also so there's that kind of like uh you know cognitive dissonance that they need to get their heads heads around and loads of them can't do that you know like easily and also just in terms of the debate prep if you're the challenger you can really focus on okay we know that we've got the first debate coming we're gonna you know day after day after day after day of the diary is just going to be dedicated to that. If you're the president, obviously you can't do that. I mean, I'm talking about normal presidents, you know, not necessarily Trump, who isn't normal in any way. Uh, you know, he watches television. He's just like tweets in the middle of the night, like he's, you know, goes to the golf course. He's like, you know, on his own fucking planet. Do you know what I mean? But he's also not the kind of temperament to, like, he doesn't want to do the work, basically. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, who does that remind you of, eh? The little sausage. Um, so, you know, Trump is not the kind of person where you say, OK, Mr. President, we're going to be, you know, kind of doing the first debate. You've got to get your shit together. It's 90 minutes long. Like, you've got to concentrate for 90 minutes for a fucking start, you know? And don't be too much of a psycho, if that's OK. Like, please, if that's OK. And we're going to, you know, we've got old Joey in to play Joey, Joey Biden. And, uh, you know, so so that's not just not happening, basically. And we know it's not happening because one of the team, one of the White House Trump Trumpsters said so on Fox News. Get a load of this. Uh, you know, in terms of debate prep, I'm sure we'll be firing some mock questions at him and stuff, but there's only so many times you can you can uh, pretend to be Joe Biden and shout malarkey at somebody. <laughs> uh, really, it's the president doing his job. I think that is the most important prep. <laughs> Brian. Brilliant. Brian, I got another question for you, Brian. Brilliant. There we go. The president doing his job. Mm, that's good prep. 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, now, okay, on the other side then, how is Biden doing? What do we expect from Biden? Well, first of all, how's he doing? Well, we know that he's taking it seriously. Um, there was a bit of a... So after that, Obama in 2012, where, you know, they, the, the Democrats realized and Obama's team realized, you know, he kind of dropped the ball a little bit. Uh, all eyes were then on Biden. And of course, there was a lot of worry because Biden's got a stutter and, you know, this kind of um, reputation he has for, you know, kind of misspeaking and not speaking very well and all the rest of it. Like he's had that for years, you know. Oh, by, by the way, he had the aneurysm in 1989, uh, 1987. He had two aneurysms in 1987 and he was actually away. Uh, getting treatment for quite a while, getting treatment and reconvalescing. Is it reconvalescing or convalescing? I think it's just convalescing, isn't it? Yeah, unless you do it again. Well, he had two of them, so he convalesced and then he reconvalesced. And then he came back about six months later or so. Um, But yeah, that's a long time ago, isn't it? 1988, Jesus, ages ago. Um, so, you know, Biden, there was all this fear about, you know, what's he going to do? He's up against Ryan. Do you remember that guy, Ryan? Ryan Stiles from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And, but yeah, he was fine. Like, he was actually really, really good. So who knows how he's going to be? There's always that question mark with Biden. You don't exactly know how he's going to be. And also the big question mark over all of this is you don't know how Trump is going to be. But in terms of the, uh, the, 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 approach that Biden is going to take we do think now and this is like a bunch of people who advised Obama and I'm sure they're talking to the to the Biden campaign as well there's this real sense in America as a whole you know because Trump's um, uh, you know ratings personal ratings are fucking like low man so there's a real sense that Trump needs to be punished. That's one of the words that was used by one of um, Barack Obama's team to describe this upcoming uh, debate. He needs to be, you know, held to account, basically, for all of the shit that he's done for four years. So there's a real kind of sense out there that hopefully Biden will fucking pin it on him. You know, he's capable of doing that, And he's certainly being, you know, it it looks as if he's being briefed to do that, like, you know, kind of prepared or prepped to do that. Prepped is is prepared, isn't it? Yes. To do that. (laughs) So we don't know how strong he's going to be. We don't know the kind of language he's going to use, obviously. You know, we don't know any of the one-liners that they've got to memorize. And the idea basically is that you, of course... You answer your own point. It doesn't really matter what the question is, you know, and any kind of politician. I mean, we fucking know this in Britain. We see this all the time, you know, some are better than others. And our current batch of politicians are fucking awful at it, you know. But the idea in a a debate especially is that you keep getting onto the talking points that you want to make. And there are so many. I mean, where do you begin? Do you know what I mean? This thing about the taxes, again, it's just like, you know, another open goal, really, for Biden. So the idea really is that you you kind of, you know, work out a way of attacking Trump, but also making sure that Trump doesn't get under your skin. Because as we heard from uh, yesterday's shows, 
uh, clip, Biden does expect him to just be really personal, you know, going on about Hunter Biden. And you can just imagine the bullshit he'll say. Um, but also, you know, in that clip, Biden did call him a liar. Advice that Biden's getting is that he shouldn't be the fact checker. Okay, Chris Wallace, who is, uh, you know, that kind of stand up, excellent reporter. Maybe he's like, we, we don't really know. He's like voted across the board, Democrat, Independent and Republican throughout his life. But certainly from the point of view of a Fox, um, you know, contributor and reporter, he's seen as the one that's not a right wing nut job, basically, you know. And just in terms of kind of like, you know, professional journalistic standards, he's kind of up there. He's the son of Mike Wallace, the infamous, famous, you know, legendary news figure in the States. Um, so Chris Wallace, you know, that's his job is to fact check Trump and you know, well, both of them. But it will be Trump, you know, spewing out the lies. And so, you know, Biden has to trust that Wallace will do that, you know. And of course, you need to kind of clear up inaccuracies and certainly anything connected to, you know, uh, the way that the uh, US population are going to perceive you. Like if he's fucking slagging you off, of course you've got to kind of put him right on that. But you can't get into the grain of, you know, oh, actually it's this, it's that, it's this number, it's that number. You know, let Chris Wallace do that. And Chris Wallace probably will do that because he interviewed Trump a couple of weeks ago and he was literally like incredibly prepared like saying like this, this, there's knowing what Trump's answer would be and then saying, no, but what about this? And he shows like a like a screenshot of the actual figures like this. Look, take a look at here, Mr. President, you fucking big fat liar. Uh, so let's just sum up where we're at and we'll look at the state of the of the race in a minute and what it means in a moment. But if in this section, in terms of the debate prep, there isn't much on Trump's side and uh, which is no surprise. And the big thing is like, you know, what is he going to do? What is he going to say? Kind of, you could imagine him saying anything. And he's quick on his feet. I mean, he isn't slow. Like, do you remember in um, 2016 when Hillary said, it's a good job that somebody like Donald Trump isn't in charge of the courts? And immediately he said, because you'd be in jail. So, you know, obviously you can take the politics out of that and admire it as a wonderful witticism. <laughs> but like, at least like, you know, he's quick on his feet, you know, he's there with a the comeback, you know, he's the info king. So, um, you know, but no, no conventional preparation. He just wants to fucking swing it like he's swinging everything else, you know. Uh, but Biden, on the other hand, is taking it seriously. He understands that he could actually, you know, kind of win it, uh, get it in the bag even more than it is in the bag. It is in the bloody bag already, but maybe it's jumping out of the bag, but it's not jumping out of the bag. It's kind of crawling out, maybe. Maybe it's crawling out like a little zombie, but stuff it back in the bag. So but he's taking it seriously and, you know, it's, it's to do with uh, holding Trump to account. That's what we're expecting Biden to do. Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, talked to Bob Woodward for Woodward's new book, Rage. And in it, uh, Kushner 
talks about this um, theory he has about the way that uh, Trump acts. And I really think there's something in this. It might actually be the key. And it really reminds me of, uh, I mean, this is almost like the um, definition of Trumpianism. Trumpian, Trumpism. Trumpianism? And it's very similar to what Boris Johnson does. So Kushner, in in the in Woodward's Woodward's book, um, Kushner calls this controversy elevates message. So as an example, um, you know, Trump. This is an example that Woodward gives. Actually, Trump would say, "We have the best economy in the history of the world." And, and he'd tweet that, you know, and then, you know, CNN fact checker and all the news organizations fact checkers and lots of politicians and lots of kind of opinion makers and all the rest of them will say, well, actually, you know, you created X number of jobs whereby Obama created, you know, Y number of jobs and like look at the kind of detail of the bullshit, basically. Um, and then he's got something to run on then, you know, then he's in the fight, then he's in the argument. We know that the response would usually be fake news and, you know, kind of elevate the message. The message is, I'm doing pretty well in the economy. And that is the message that gets through to the general public. The general public think, well... I mean, it might not be the best in the world, in the history of the world, but it's actually pretty good. And because he's made such a song and dance about it, you know, obviously, if he tweeted the economy is pretty good, it wouldn't make news. He knows how to make news. Great example from um, Bonson motherfucker. What's his name? Toby Jug looking fucker. Um, The Sausage is that thing about world beating, a world beating test and trace system. He's not going to back down from that because the general public, well, I mean, you know, this is the theory. (laughs) Because I think that nobody is actually thinking that the test and trace system is anything apart from an abysmal failure. But the theory is that general public will think, well, actually, and you could argue this in June much better than, you know, now, you know, late September. But in June, when he did say world beating, when it was all fucking promises, you know what I mean? You could then say, well, actually, like, at least he's got something. And, and this is the Mog's point. A couple of, So the Tories are still going with this, like, still trying to flog the fucking dead horse of good testing, you know? Um, but anyway, in June, the general public would say, well, at least he's got some testing going. And, it, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because of the pandemic and he had it himself and no shit. And we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We don't know that he spent all of fucking August writing his book, allegedly. You know, that hadn't happened yet, you know. But even now, if anybody dares to talk about test and trace, what do we get back? We get back, how dare you... Uh, impinge on the good nature of the people working in the the NHS, even though it's fucking Serco running the the joint, you know, and, um, you know, Mog was saying, well, actually, like, we, you know, started, we had nothing, like, nobody knew about this 
a new virus and we got testing up amazingly. We're still, we're testing, this is the new line, we're testing more people than Europe. And all of it can be fact-checked and it's all lies. Obviously it's all bullshit. But the thing is that enough people get the get a sense of the message, you know? The message basically being, listen, it's fucking difficult and stop slagging us off for it, you know? And, you know, we do have loads and loads of tests, okay? Fine, you know, a few problems, but, you know, we're dealing with it. Like I said yesterday about the app, you know, the bloody app that doesn't work. They're saying, well, it's okay, we're, we're ironing it out. So anyway, I thought it was really interesting. This controversy, controversy elevates the message, and I think we're going to get a lot of that in the... Um, you know, in, in the debate. So it isn't just a question of like he's mad and he just says anything. He knows exactly what he's saying and he's all over everything, you know, with these tax returns, by the way, which is basically just like this kind of con whereby you pay yourself as a as a um, consultant and you you kind of like, you know, have loads, like a, you live a, an extraordinary lavish lifestyle and um, you don't pay tax on any of that, you know. So it's it's just like a basic con. And somebody very good on that, actually, on Twitter, is David Fickling, who's a journalist for Bloomberg. Um, he did a series of tweets around it, basically kind of explaining how Trump is getting away with paying $750 in a federal income tax for 2016 and then 2017. And that's uh, on Twitter. It's David Fickling. F-I-C-K-L-I-N-G Fickling So that's worth listening uh, reading about if you want to know the details of how he's getting away with it and um, you know the thing is that he's over 400 million dollars in debt personally on him and apparently you know the chickens are going to come home to roost so I heard somebody say that basically uh, if he doesn't get elected he's going to prison I mean, you know, they always say that about these shysters. But let's see. So on episode 34 of this podcast, way back in April, April the 18th, um, we featured the third journal reading from Noel. And long-time loyal listeners, the three L's, will remember Noel's outstanding um, journal readings. And the last one, episode 100, we haven't heard from Noel for a while, but this, uh, this afternoon I follow him on Twitter and he tweeted out a link to a book launch that he's involved in. So... Um, Go back, episode 34, but also check this out. It's Thursday, October the 1st. It's a book launch and um, Noel's writing for that episode, which is his journal episode of April the 15th, which you might remember it's the one about starlings. I mean, it's absolutely... Noel is... uh, uh, an extraordinary, I mean, it's like, it's so embarrassing, you know, you, sometimes you meet these people that are just so ridiculously talented, you know, he's a painter, right, he's a fucking incredible painter, and, you know, I contacted Noel 
when it started to look pretty bad in in New York and I've contacted you know a couple of people a couple of friends living in different places and you know asking them to contribute to the show and you know you can look at the archive and there's a couple of um, you know people so for instance Emily in Japan a couple of times has uh, contributed and uh, you know my friend Catherine in Ireland a couple of times and uh, quite a few people based in, in the UK we had uh, Gusto in Italy remember that that was uh, quite recently wasn't it in the last few weeks um, so anyway you know you, you can hear the contributions Noel writes this incredible series of um, journal entries does the whole thing himself like it's unbelievable like what the fuck like you know it's so difficult to write and maybe Noel finds it difficult to write I have no idea but it doesn't fucking seem like it and it's just like so it's uh, remarkable absolutely remarkable so congratulations Noel on being part of this uh, this book so I'll read the details and so here we go so Thursday, 1st of, November, uh, 1st of October, 7.30pm Eastern Time, book launch, Voices of Lefferts, Volume 3, Number 1, featuring various contributors, including Noel, hosted by editor Deborah Mutnick. Voices of Lefferts is a community documentary product, uh, project that celebrates, engages and preserves the historic Brooklyn neighbourhood of Flatbush Prospects Lefferts Garden. Uh, combining writing, photography and art, the Voices of Lefferts Community Writing Journal documents the working class, multiracial, predominantly immigrant West Indian community in a time of rapid change, development and displacement and ultimately aims to contribute to political and cultural discussion and debate in Flatbush, PLG. The ongoing series, Voices of Lefferts, the Flatbush PLG Community Writing Journal, is one of Greenlight Bookstore's best-selling titles. We're thrilled to welcome the community back for Volume 3, Number 1. Project Director Deborah Mutnick hosts a programme of virtual readings and discussion with neighbourhood authors from the new issue in an evening celebrating the voices, lives and stories of our neighbourhood including several short pieces in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And you can click there to register for the event, which is a free event. And it is hosted by a a bookshop called Greenlight Bookstore. It looks as if they've got two um, branches, both in Brooklyn. Um, And their website is greenlightbookstore.com greenlightbookstore.com I'll put a link in this uh, you know episode to that so yeah fantastic I'm gonna I mean again it's a fucking late one isn't it for us British people what's half past seven? I can't do that oh it's uh, five hours isn't it uh, oh no that's not too bad it's only 12.30 <laughs> they're gonna be thinking what the fuck is going on with uh this week at my work when I'm like up all night watching these live broadcasts from the States but anyway congratulations Noel and it's sort of you know I mean it's, your writing is outstanding man I think you know that I know that I think I think you know that I know I think you know that I think that yeah 
I think you know that I think that. <laughs> but anyway, listen, Noel, it's a funny way to, you know, tell you this, but have a great time on, on Thursday and congratulations. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Noel's, then tune in for his, for his reading. So what does it mean for each candidate? Well, for Biden, first of all, it means that with a confident performance, he can uh, shore up some of those uh, voters, the undecideds in the swing states that are still undecided. And if you're undecided this far in, probably you're going to do what you did in 2016 Um, as an undecided and split more to Trump. The problem for Trump is that there are fewer undecideds in 2016 and generally speaking in the swing states um, Biden is polling much better than Hillary at this point in the race and he's got many more advantages than Hillary had. He's basically better liked you know, and we can go into the, we can do a whole fucking podcast series about, you know, why that might be and the fair unfairness of that um, to a certain degree, you know. But nevertheless, we are where we are, as Trump likes to say. And um, so for Biden, it's it's not like the olden days where, like, you know, everybody kind of didn't really know what they were going to do and <laughs> waited until the until the debate. I think the vast majority of the people watching, including me, is just there because it's a kind of thing that you do in election year, you know? It's extraordinary to see these two people up like in the same room as each other, you know, and the kind of liveness, that's what I love about it, the live eventness of it. You know, this never this kind of moment of history. You don't actually know what's going to happen, you know? And with Trump, of course, it's potentially going to be quite quite interesting, you know, and very unpredictable, you know. So from somebody that likes live, live theatre, of course you love that. But it is theatre in that it is a, a performance, you know. The guys have got their, well, I mean, conventionally, the candidates have got their, uh, you know, their kind of scripted, rehearsed, remembered... Um, lines and you know kind of weighs into their argument you know and they're just looking for a kind of a way in there you know so it is a performance but there is that kind of live element and the kind of info element with old you know Trump on stage <laughs> but for Biden so so I don't think it's going to change that many people's minds but it might change more minds for for him and it is you know it's it commands a huge audience, you know, at least a hundred million people in the States are going to watch that, you know what I mean, a third of the fucking country are going to be watching, so, you know, it's a, it's a good opportunity for him, maybe not to kind of totally seal it, because you never know, but definitely to, you know, kind of shore up his vote where it counts, and it is looking very good for Biden. Um, for Trump, this might might be, especially after the tax returns being leaked to the New York Times and that's not just one a one day splash you know it's not all wine bam thank you man these guys at the Times they know what they're doing they're going to dribble it out you know intriguing 
line in the report um, from yesterday's, uh, you know, paper. Said not that I've read the fucking paper, obviously. Um, said that oh, I was on the beach the other day, like last week, and I saw somebody reading a paper. It's unbelievable. I haven't seen somebody read a paper for about ten years. Um, yeah. So an intriguing line was. You know, we will be revealing more in the next coming weeks. I didn't really, it wasn't that kind of, you know, spy thrillery, but something like that. You know, this is one of a number of reports um, that we will be um, publishing in the next few weeks. So Trump doesn't really know what's coming around the corner with that, which is a lovely position to be in, you know, from an anti-Trump uh, person. It probably is Trump's final opportunity to save his election campaign. You know, it's really not going well. As we speak tonight, uh, 5.38 has got Biden winning with 330 Electoral College uh, votes. Votes? Is that the points? What do you call it? Scores? (laughs) Anyway, 330 on the Electoral College and 208 for Trump. So you need 270 to win. So that's, you know, it's not a blowout, but it's a comfortable win. I mean, it doesn't fucking matter as long as you fucking wins. I think it might be uh, closer than that. I can't see uh, 538, for instance, have got um, Biden winning Florida. I'm not sure about that. And Ohio as well, which I'm definitely not sure about that. So the problem with for Trump, basically, though, is that he needs to win so much and... Uh, you know, places where where Biden is way ahead, you know, um, I mean, where do you begin? Like, basically, most of the uh, upper Midwest, you know, plus Nevada, he's looking pretty good. Arizona, he's looking really good, you know, and Trump can't afford to lose much at all. Um, He might well, Trump might well win Florida, and he has to win Florida. But I don't think this is a, no, you know, no one's saying this is a close election at all. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, it's going to be as comfortable as um, 3.30 for, for Biden. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But basically, you know, Biden is going into tomorrow night in a very good position. And Trump is going in tomorrow night in a very shaky position, incredibly shaky position. There's only so much that too many uh, voters can take of Trump. And there are some issues, like I was talking about with the soldier thing. I was saying, when he was saying that, you know, people that serve in the military are just losers. And uh, what, do you, what was the other word? You know, uh, some other word, like nasty word. Um, and, you know, I said, you know, for some people it would be water for ducks back. This does have cut through. I mean, they were talking about it in work today, you know, immediately had cut through because everybody pays their taxes. Everybody pays their taxes. And he's Trump, $750, that's 590 pounds, right? A fucking top end iPhone or whatever, Samsung phone is more than that. Do you know what I mean? It's extraordinary and it really is a big kind of, you know, slap in the face to all of those voters that thought that, you know, 
He was one of them, basically. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to be like this guy. Well, you don't want to be a fucking con man, you know? And he's been exposed as a con man. So this is the October surprise, probably. It's the October the surprise that came a little bit early and will dribble into October. So Trump has got a lot on the line tomorrow, far more than Biden. Biden can, um, you know, live with a bad, a bad performance tomorrow. And, um, you know, Trump basically has to kind of do the impossible, essentially. What can he do? I mean, how can you rescue it if you're a Republican? How can you rescue it? And that idea, if Trump loses, that idea of what the Republican Party is, is, well, it's just going to explode, you know, because anybody that knows anything about the Republican Party knows that there's been this massive kind of takeover by Trumpian, you know, loyalists, essentially. And anyone that gets close to Trump with any fucking brain on them immediately gets kind of chucked away out of the White House because it's just, you can't work in that kind of environment with a guy with no um, agenda. Like, he doesn't have a plan for 2020. It's extraordinary. He doesn't have a manifesto. It's all just instinct. I mean, it's amazing. So that's why, you know, people that have, you know, served with past presidents um, are saying, well, he has no moral compass. You know, it's impossible to work for somebody like this. He's just a fucking gangster, basically. He's a con man that conned himself into the position of, you know, the leader of the free world and the most, you know, powerful person on the planet. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And more and more Americans are waking up to this fact. So good luck to you. Thank you very much. I run to the shop, bump into everyone. Say, have you heard? Have you heard the news? There is a podcast called Social Distancer. Share it, like it, astound your friends. Everything you want to hear about. The greatest public health emergency in any of our lives. Four times a week, and it is free. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and an omnibus on Sundays. Fucking great So, if you do want to listen in, um, it's uh, 2 a.m. till 3:30 p.m. in uh, well, UK and uh, all of Europe, I imagine. Um, so what's that? Is it? Does it start at nine? Um, nine Eastern time, is it? If it's five hours ahead? Oh, fucking hell. Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's good then, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll be tweeting, uh, podcasting COVID, at podcasting COVID. That's, uh, the uh, tweeting address for the podcast. Uh, yeah, so next episode will be on Wednesday and quick roundup of where we're at in the UK because it is a COVID fucking podcast, you know. Uh, promise of new tests, you know, heard that before. Now, good news in terms of heard that before and it's rare that I give you any fucking good news. You may remember last week I had a 
a dalliance with a bus company around uh, the problem of the windows not opening on the buses and it all came to a head with a quite a public spat me versus the bus residents <laughs> where um, it's all documented on Friday's show um, and anyway in, in the tweeting that I was doing to the bus company I was saying you know you need to get posters made I think I told you all this you need to get posters made you know because it's really important the ventilation you know the pandemic and all that and they did it unbelievably they did it I got on the bus this afternoon and there's a beautiful post all the other posters are taken down so they had individual posters for social distancing and wear a mask um, but they're taken down now there's a kind of banner poster which includes open a window um, and it's fantastic it's really amazing so I tweeted my thanks to the bus company and you can read all this if you go to podcasting covid at podcasting covid on twitter and um, yeah so that's really good isn't it so congratulations bus company for being responsive I mean it's really it's quite a thing you know if I hadn't sent those fucking tweets then these people wouldn't know to open the windows basically next time if there is a next time and hopefully there won't be a next time but next time it'll be much easier for me or anyone else who's extremely vulnerable to this thing but has no other choice than take like a bus twice a day you know which is probably the most difficult dangerous situation I get myself in every day because the rest of it you know at work I've got plenty of agency in terms of moving around and all the rest of it but of course if you're on a bus with all the fucking windows closed and you're not allowed to go up to people and I wouldn't want to anyway then you're a bit snookered so next time I can just put point to the poster I'll firstly sign the poster I'll say that's one of mine there you go no you think you're an artist look what I created <laughs> and uh, you know like sign it in the corner you know like a fucking painter does yeah and um, it's always good when you have to explain the joke yeah and then I say look that's one of mine so fucking do it because this is basically my bus <laughs> anyway seriously though thank you bus company I really appreciate um, you know you getting rid of the massive covid clouds that have built up in your buses every fucking day for the last nine months uh, really good that you're on top of it that's good that was a genuine thanks but then it got all cynical and raw anyway um yeah so really looking forward to tomorrow night uh, and you'll hear my thoughts on wednesday's show uh, probably a bit more covid in there as well because it's pmqs you know have to follow the old pmqs don't we Right, now, what are we going to think of tonight? What about thinking of a, a yucca plant? You know the yucca? Think of a fern as well. If you like, think of a fern. I always like going back to the ferns. They're nice ones, aren't they? The ferns. Think of lichen. Remember the lichen? Yeah. Right, one, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Thank you ever so much for listening. Take care of yourselves wherever you are. By the way, if you do want to watch the um, the debate, it's easy to get it. Like, it will be on Twitter, it will be on YouTube, 
multiple ways of getting it, you know, depending on what country you're living in, the kind of, you know, main state broadcaster or whatever will probably play it live, you know, I know the BBC does, and Sky News does in the UK, so, you know, it, it should be very easy to access, and it's a real treat, like I, I mean, you know, I'm obviously fucking loving it, you know, you might not love it as much as me, but it's, it's quite interesting, you know, at the very least, it's quite interesting. Anyway, take care. Thanks for listening. Thank you.